You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Good morning. For those of you that don't know, my name is Ronnie. I'm one of the elders here at Gospel Community Church. If you call this place your home, if, if GCC is your family, it's great to be here again with you on Sunday, worshiping God with family, making much of who Jesus is and lifting him up. For those of you visiting, we're very glad to have you here today. We're very excited for you to hear the words that are going to be delivered here today. And the reason we're excited is because every single Sunday, we make it our goal, just as it was said earlier, to make Jesus the hero. It's not about any one person, any special ministry we have, whether it be hospitality or kids, or even those who get up here and and play worship for us, Uh, but it's all about lifting up and making much of who Jesus is and what he has done, communicating the greatest message ever told, a message of salvation, of redemption, of hope, and of purpose. If you came here today because life might not be going so well and you were hoping to hear some good advice or something that will help you white-knuckle your way through the rest of the week, I'm even more excited because I can promise you something so much better than just good advice. As Chris said earlier, we have good news to share with you this morning, something that changes everything. Not just a couple pointers on how to be a better father or if you're even familiar with Christianese language, uh, a Proverbs 31 woman, but a message that changes everything. We've all been given good advice before, Some good, some bad. If you have friends like mine, some straight up ugly. And here we still are. Some of us broken, some of us incomplete, some of us longing for something more. For those that have never heard, and for those that need to hear it again, this is the most important thing I could tell you this morning. And this is also the last morning that I will stand behind this pulpit and give this message to the congregants of GCC as an elder. Most of you are aware already, but my family is moving to Delaware at the end of this month on military orders to go and be a chaplain for the Air Force. So I previously served for 14 years uh, in the National Guard, both in Nevada and here in Oregon. And I've been going through the process of becoming a chaplain for the Air Force. And so I have orders to report in Dover Air Force Base in Delaware on September 4th. So yeah, thank you been quite a long process, so most of you have already seen this coming. I don't think it's a big shocker, and we haven't been keeping any of the process like a secret or anything, so um, it, it's, a, it's a little funny and sad. It reminds me in a lot of ways of when my father had passed, because my father died the exact same week that our first son was born, and we, we had a, our oldest daughter was born previously, so we already had a child. We had a new child in the home. We had my dad who died overseas in Thailand, so I was dealing with customs, and it was a very busy and hectic time, and I think it wasn't until many weeks later that I began to really grieve his passing when Nicole and I finally had an opportunity to go have a date night, and she asked me, like, how do you feel about all this? And, <laughs> and we've been so busy packing and patching and painting that I, even ha- I haven't really had a moment to grieve the fact that I'm about to move 3,000 miles away from my family. And I, and I, don't, I don't mean blood relatives, because in regards to those in Oregon, it, that would only include my family who's coming with me. I'm talking about my church family and all of you. 
that I've gotten to know over the years. As Rick has pointed out many times, all the ways in which him and I are, are different, we've always been fiercely united by the death of Christ. This is my hope for GCC as I leave for a new ministry and my message that I will leave you all with here today. I hope that when I call to ask about GCC, when I receive updates about GCC, that there's nothing that this church becomes known for other than the gospel. There are a great many things that GCC could be known for, and there are many churches across the world that are known for all different kinds of things. And there would be a great amount of despair that would come over me if I were to find out that Gospel Community Church became known for something other than that message. That is the one thing that we can remain united on as we examine the world and culture around us fractioning into a million different pieces. It's the gospel that unites us. And so that's my, my main point today is just, is just one, very simple. Let us be known for the gospel. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 2.2 2, and then we'll unpack the significance of Paul's statement in this, in this small verse. Paul says to the church in Corinth, and Chris primed us for this perfectly in the previous chapter, Paul says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's pray. God, we live in a very busy world. We have very busy lives in a very busy world. And there are countless distractions before us, so much so that I haven't even had much of an opportunity to even think about um, the parts about this experience that are painful. I pray that in all these different things that could pull us away, that you would help remind us and draw us back to the gospel, to the ultimate hope we have in Christ, that people we love could leave us in a moment for all different kinds of, uh, of reasons, all different kinds of circumstances can take away the things with which we worship and place in a position of God before you. I pray that you would keep us from that. You've given us a greater hope than all these things that the world puts its hope in. Don't let us stray from this message. I pray uh, that this message would be something received by those who have never heard it before, for those that need to hear it again, that it's, it's something that's received and lived out in their lives, that they come to embrace the truths of the gospel, to put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ and nothing else. We love you, God. We thank you for this family and this place, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing here of significance in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, in, in this, I know it's one small little verse is the, the very thoughtful decision that Paul has to make here. And I think this is incredibly important, especially in our current cultural, social context. It says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Some of you, some of you don't know me very well. There are even some new faces that I'm not familiar with, and you might make the same mistake that I think many people outside the church would make and think that my whole identity is wrapped up in being a Christian or some kind of religious observer. As I stand behind a pulpit, that was honestly my, probably my perceptions of somebody that would stand and deliver a message behind a pulpit is that their whole personality is being a Christian, being a, a pastor, some religious zealot, whatever you might think that means. The truth is, for those that know me well enough, I think they would back this up. I'm, I'm actually quite the nerd with a, with a great sense of humor. Um, I love stuff like Tolkien and J.K. Rowling, and I love a good lightsaber duel. I, do, I even think it says on the GCC website my favorite movie would be like episode three of Star Wars. It's like the best lightsaber fights ever. 
And while some were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, I was born with a controller pad in mine. Literally, my dad had a Sega Genesis. Uh, his roommate had a Nintendo. My grandpa had an Atari. Like, I always had a, a controller in my hand from the earliest time I was born. I say that to say those are the more digestible parts of my personality. My wife would also say I have a concerning amount of awareness with what's happening around the world politically, culturally, socially. And for those who, who are really close to me, they've probably been on the receiving end of some of those conversations where in which I've had the opportunity to share some of those strong opinions. And I'm sorry for you. Um, if you don't think I have strong opinions on all these things, it's just that we haven't gotten each, to know each other well enough yet and I just haven't opened up. The truth is, it would be of almost no effort for me to stand up here and share with you my opinions and convictions on the state of all different kinds of things that are happening around the world and even slap a little Bible verse alongside of it just to convince you of how correct I am in my opinions. It would be incredibly easy. But just as Paul does here, I've decided, that word could also be I've determined, I've judged it to be of more importance that of all the things you could ever know, the gospel should reign as chief among them. There is nothing more important that could be communicated from, the, from the, behind a pulpit on a Sunday morning than the gospel. It's a specific and intentional decision in the life of the believer to put the gospel first over all the other things we get excited about. And I get it, especially when it comes to preaching. A message about the gospel may not be, you know, as I used to say in my old uh, career as a recruiter, it may not be as sexy of a message as something on how to have a better marriage or how to find fulfillment in your work or how to change the world with different social justice causes. But a message on marriage divorced from the union between, the, between Christ and his bride is loveless. A message on the meaning of work devoid of the ultimate form of our purpose demonstrated for us in the service of the Messiah is purposeless. And a message on changing the world through social justice absent of the restoration promised to us and given form in the new heaven, the new earth is hopeless. Why would Paul here decide to know it says nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified? Why would he say specifically there's nothing? It's because there is nothing. Jake preached on Philippians 3, 1 through 11 a couple weeks ago. And he, he, uh, if you look, and I'll read this again, Philippians 3, 7, when Jake was talking about the, the religious credentials that Paul was putting forward to talk about his life outside of Christ. And he's throwing his religious zeal out there and all the accomplishments that he had done. He, he, Paul is giving his credentials to, to the, the, the church in Philippi, talking about all of the great things that he has done. And then this, listen to what he says about all of his accomplishments when you read Philippians 3, 7 through 8. Paul says, but whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all, of, of all these things and counted them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. When Paul compares all of his religious accomplishments and his zeal to the glory of Christ, he regards it as rubbish, which... If I'm being incredibly honest, it's a very English word. I don't think I've ever heard an American in my life say the word rubbish. Uh, and I'm, I'm a little sad Jake didn't mention I, uh, what that Greek word is. 
And I, I joked the other night about me mentioning Greek words and how people's eyes roll into the back of their head when I do it. But this is a funny one. So it's, it's actually scubalon. You'll never forget it. Um, it means it's poop. It's animal poop. It's dung. Scubalon. Very fun word to say. You can even say it right now if you want to. Scubalon. It's very funny. So rubbish is, not, is a weird word to, to use here. Like I said, for us in our context, I actually had a pastor use a different word at a college retreat one that I won't repeat here, but probably the most accurate translation of that word into English. I think you all know the four-letter word I'm talking about. Um, I won't say that word, but outside of Christ, Paul considered all of his glory that he had accomplished and achieved for himself that he could go around and brag to other people. He pretty much considered all of that to be crap. It was filth. It was something not worth holding on to. For some of us, this might be the case. We have all different kinds of things that we could boast about. You might have a beautiful family, a great home, an amazing and successful business, an awesome career that you've dumped a lot of time and energy into, a, a, a relationship that you've spent a lot of time and invested a lot of energy in, a degree, different titles before your name. For myself, I'd probably say it's less so that I consider my accomplishments scubalon and more the fact that, that I think that's what my life would have been outside of Christ. I don't mean to speak ill of the living or the dead other than to boast of what Christ has pulled me from. But for those of you who, who know a little bit about my father or my mother and my, and my background, I would say of the two things that I remember about my father is he was awful with women and money. And there are many stories I could tell you that would demonstrate that fact, but just one would be the time when I was 18 and he had me deliver a check to a stripper he was dating, uh, I think to cover rent or something like that. Uh, he, he oftentimes struggled with both of those things. Uh, addicted to porn. We had, back when it was Playboy magazines in the house that I knew where those were, he left me with unfettered access to the internet and all different kinds of things. My mother, who I was not raised by, was addicted to alcohol. That's caused a tremendous amount of damage to her brain. I was telling somebody recently that we had her over to the house because we're, we're leaving, so she was visiting. And as I was painting the house, she was asking me the, the same question several times. The alcohol is, is so destroyed her brain that she often forgets what she's asked me just moments ago. Between the two of them, there's a total of eight divorces. And my father, he would, before he died in Thailand, he was actually trying to get me to send him his divorce decree so he could get married a sixth time to a woman he had met in Thailand. I was set up to inherit nothing from my parents other than a lack of faithfulness and abundance of addiction. And it showed. I was not a believer. I was an atheist, agnostic, somewhat antagonistic to the Christian faith specifically. And before I left my father's house, I had been through over 20 different girlfriends and a mountain of porn. I was doing nothing but preparing myself for a life of addiction and broken relationships. I was training myself for divorce. My life outside of Christ particularly was nothing that I really wanted to hold on to. It wasn't anything worth knowing. What I've also decided and determined to know over anything else, just like Paul does here, even over something I could have carved out of my life that might have looked a little bit better even without Christ, I determined to know nothing but the gospel. My life may have been very different from Paul's, but I resonate with him so much here because my life outside of Christ was also something to be considered as worthless. Whether it was Paul's religiosity even though mine, mine was quite the opposite, Nicole would tell you that I would often make fun of her friends when they came back. It was, it was her and another friend of ours that they'd come back from church camp and try to play the really bad Christian music in my car, and I wouldn't stand for it, and I would make fun of them. And, and, and just to be blunt, I used to think 
And, and just to let you into the mind of an unbeliever a little bit here, I used to think of all of you sitting down right now, nothing more than a bunch of sheeple listening to a con man behind a pulpit fleece him. I was like, there's no way this guy believes what he's saying right now from the pulpit. These were my honest thoughts as I sat there in the pews at different times when Nicole would invite me to sit in on church with her. I thought very poorly of Christians, if, I, if I'm being honest. Paul's religious zeal and my antagonistic atheism are both crap when, par- when compared to the gospel. Neither of them are anything worth holding on to. I have a perfect life now. And, and when you hear that, I want to be clear. I don't mean the marriage I have now with Nicole, you know, we, we've been together for 15 years. I'm not talking about, thank God he's done that. And he, he has transformed my family in that way, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about my children. I'm not talking about a new ministry experience I have in the Air Force. The life, the perfect life I have now that I'm talking about is Christ's life. That's the life that now gets to define my life. As far as anything that happens moving forward, when I stand before God His life is the one that now defines my existence, and I'm judged according to his perfect life lived on my behalf. Because the truth is, we could lose all of these things that the world values, whether it's your family, that could be gone in the blink of an eye. We're all just one bad performance review from being kicked out uh, of wherever we work. All of this stuff could be gone. It wasn't just the death he died either on our behalf. He also lived for us. That life he lived for us is so precious, and we tend to move over that too quickly. But how often you, you might hear people say, well, I would die for him. Someone like young love, like Tina, I would die for her, I would die for him, like stuff like that. Death could be quick and easy. Not only was Jesus' death neither quick nor easy, he lived a life that you or I could have never lived. In every way that we've been disobedient to the commands of God, he lived in perfect submission to them. And it's not as though he was without temptation. You read Hebrews 4.15, it says that he's able to empathize with us. He's able to sympathize with us because he knows what it's like. He's been tempted in every single way, yet without sin, it says in Hebrews. He knows about our sin, and he still chose to save us. And this is the thing that blows my mind more than anything. And I'll close with this. I can easily get up here and say that Jesus saved me from being a porn-addicted loser without any sense of shame You know, that's an easy thing to say, and I I don't think you completely get it. He didn't just save me from a sin that I'm embarrassed about. He saved me from all my sin, and even crazier still, he is intimately aware of the details of that sin. I can say, oh yeah, I struggle with lust, but Jesus knows my browsing history. Jesus knows my most shameful moments as a human being. It's easy for me to confess and even believe that some of you might still accept me when I say I struggle with porn. And that's where I don't think we need to fully understand. He knows what I've looked at. He knows all of what you did. You may say, oh, you don't understand. That's legal. That's fine. What I, some of the things that I've done would put me in jail were I to confess them out loud. He knew that. He knew all of that and had it in his mind when he was whipped in his back. When he set aside his glory with God, he knew all of what you would do. Even if you're sitting there thinking, maybe, maybe you're out of touch, you're a millennial, you don't know how bad the internet has gotten, and AI and things like OnlyFans and some of the shameful thing that men and women do now on the internet. No, Jesus, that did not shock him. He knew all of what we had done, what we do now, and what we will do moving forward as technology advances and get worse and worse. He was intimately aware of some of the worst moments in your life, and he still hung there on the cross. Bloody and thirsty, knowing all of what you would do, fiercely determined by a passion that surpasses anything on this earth that you will ever come to know. He hung there with the lowest moments of your life in his mind when he cried out, it 
is finished. Not shocked, not surprised, still going there for you and me. Not only is it the life outside of Christ, but any other message that could proceed from this pulpit devoid of the gospel is crap. It is scubalon, and I pray to God that nothing ever comes from this pulpit that isn't connected to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let that never be so. As the congregants in this church, Paul even speaks about the responsibility of those sitting there to hold the preachers accountable as far as the message that they're preaching, that it's not just something meant to tickle the ears, but to actually change lives, something that changes our eternal destiny. And know that as I go, I carry the same message with me. I wouldn't carry anything else. As I carry the, the, the same message to our brothers and sisters on the other side of the country in a different culture, I carry the same message with me. Amen? Let's pray. God, there is nothing more precious than the life of Christ spilled out for us. We are incredibly shameful creatures, arrogant, selfish, self-centered. In many ways, we've sought our own desires and comforts over the needs of others. We've lacked self-control in our addictions and our anger and our outbursts. We've desired greatly the things that others, others have instead of being content with what you've given us. You've given us life and we've oftentimes spit that precious gift back in your face. And yet you still sent your son to die for us. Jesus still hung on the cross knowing the worst of who we are, even the things that we're embarrassed to say out loud, things that we would never confess for fear of how other people would react. You still went to the cross and died for those things. I pray that we communicate nothing other than the beautiful hope we have in that gospel, God, that the good news defines this church and the people in it forever moving forward on into eternity. We love you, God, for that message, for the hope you've given us in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.